Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're excited to have Amber Carnes on the podcast today. Um, I feel like I should start by saying that Amber and I work together, and so we have uh, a few different relationships going on, and it always feels important <laughs> to acknowledge those kinds of dynamics. Amber, would you introduce yourself, share your name, your pronouns, um, your social location, and your astrology. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I remember all that. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to chat with y'all today. Um, so my name is Amber Carnes. My pronouns are she and her. Um, let's see, social location. Well, actual location, Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> um, and let's see, I am 38, no, 39, 38, about to be 39 years old. Um, I'm white, cisgender, female, uh, queer, but married to a man, um, not disabled. Uh, I don't know. What else do I need to say? I think I hit a lot of them. Um, astrology. Oh, uh, Aries sun, Capricorn moon, Aries rising. <laughs> yes. We were just texting about this the other day and I was like, oh, she's a double Aries. Of course I should have known. Mm -hmm. uh, on fire in all the ways apparently. So yeah. And I anyway, I'm, I'm not a serious like astrology person in the way of like, um, I'm a big fan of astrology memes on the internet, but I don't actually know enough about you know, <laughs> I hope I don't offend anyone with astrology jokes I make because I'm not very um, well versed in it, but I, I do uh, get amused when there's a, a clever explanation for my annoying behaviors or whatever. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call them annoying personally, but I haven't done you that long, so there's still room. Um, and I'll say that, I mean, I, Lauren, is also, feel free to chime in around your own placements, but um, has Aries in her chart, and my partner has Aries in his chart, and I have so many friends who have high Aries placements, so it's just really interesting to see that, yeah. 
Yeah. I've heard Aries are kind of like Leos where we really like each other. <laughs> <laughs> like my partner is an Aries too, and I don't think that's an accident. That's, that's so funny. It's just the best sign or something. I don't know. <laughs> so Amber, you know, I I have listened to you on a lot of podcasts and um, you talk, I mean, the podcasts I've listened to you uh, speak on have been primarily focused on like body positivity, yoga. I mean, this is a big part of your work, um, as most of us know, if we've been following you and, you know, you did a a yoga journal cover last year, which was a big deal. Um, You're welcome to share anything about that if you feel (laughs) inclined to. But I would love to hear about like going going back in time to how, because I know that you've been involved in activism and community building for a really long time in different spheres. And I would love to hear about like, what that experience has been like, how you got started, what you were doing, what age you were, like, how did you get into activist work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's funny, like, um, when you first like brought this topic up and I was like, oh, I guess I do have a history of activism, even though I've always sort of thought about it in terms of community building, um, but it's it's both and, and, and those things are the same thing sometimes. So I guess, um, you know, I'll start out by saying that like, I had a really like unique um, education growing up. I was homeschooled most of my life. Um, my mom was a classroom teacher and a professor at a university, but she also um, uh, ran like a homeschool group uh, and had a small school and a co-op and it, it changed forms over the years. But um, as far as my education, like most of it was uh, sort of a one room schoolhouse type of um, of upbringing where we had folks from all different grade levels and we would study in a way that was like um, around themes or projects. And so, like, for instance, we might all be studying ancient Egypt, but some of us would be doing research on mummification and then doing a skit to teach the other students about it. Some of us would be you know, writing a research paper, if that was more appropriate to where we were in our, you know, grade level, some of us would be making art and decorating the whole classroom. So like, it was a pretty cool experience where like the parents of all these other kids would teach things like math and literature or whatever at home. And then we all came together and did art, music, social studies, like all of the science, all those things in this like really cool thematic way. And I think that, you know, my experiences in my youth around homeschooling and also just like being part of um, the community of the church that I was brought up in, like my parents were both like um, the children's church uh, leaders. And so a lot of the things we did um, would be, um, you know, couched in that in those community events. And I think, you know, that foundation really just I don't know, I loved uh, learning that way. I loved being able to solve problems like creatively as a group. And so um, in my teen years, I became really involved in the punk and hardcore music scene um, in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is where um, I grew up in South Georgia, but we moved to Virginia um, when I was 14. And um, pretty much immediately, like when I was like 16 is when I got involved with that stuff. and. Um, at first, like I pretty much right away when I started going to shows, these like, I don't know, local shows, they're held in like basements and community centers and they're like under a hundred kids. And, um, I just loved how, um, I don't know, there was this sense of like possibility in that we were like co-constructing or building something together. And so 
I started booking shows um, for local bands. I started uh, like this collective for local bands at the time where we would like help promote each other's stuff and like share resources. Like we shared a PA, um, you know, like speakers and microphones and stuff. We shared um, information about venues and venue contacts because like, I don't know, not all venue owners wanted to book shows that get rough sometimes or whatever. And so um, there was really this sort of collaborative, um, uh, I guess, spirit and DIY spirit about that, um, that community. Um, it, you know, taught me a lot about um, how to organize and throw events. And I really fell in love with that um, as part of, you know, my time in the punk and hardcore scene. Um, it also taught me a lot about, um, I think in positive and negative ways about inclusion and belonging and you know i someday will write my love letter and searing analysis of the hardcore scene but um because there's a little of both but um uh, i think that there there definitely were a lot of lessons there for me about how to create belonging for you know a community of people i think that felt misunderstood or were looking for a place to belong um and also noticing the ways that that um that community can be built through exclusion too, right? Because there were certainly a lot of spoken and unspoken rules about how you dress, how you act, what's cool, what's not. And so it was very interesting to see that stuff show up in a place where, you know, we are operating outside the mainstream, we're not fitting in, but also there's this same lens from dominant culture that I think can show up in subcultures and, and, and underground communities that's really, crucial for us to like keep an eye on and do analysis of and you know that kind of thing and so I, I think about that sometimes now as a you know 20 years out like looking back on my experiences then and and how that really shaped um the way that I build community now and so like that was really fun that got me hooked on it you know I helped run a record label I helped um really like build this scene there and and it showed me kind of the possibilities of what folks who are like united around something and you know like i would say like when i was you know 17 18 through my early 20s like that was what my life was about like that was that was what all my creative energy went into you know it was very exciting to be able to like to build something and and i think too for me um you know punk and hardcore taught me about the maybe special magic of these like ephemeral community experiences that maybe aren't even archived in any way, you know what I mean? Like, but that are so um, maybe foundational to like some people's identity, if yeah. that makes sense, yeah. um, that we got to build something together and it wasn't just like, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a fan of this type of music. It was like, I'm part of like making this happen. So that was very, I guess, impactful for me in that way. Yeah. Um, I can keep going, but y'all might want to get a word in edgewise. So I mean, I, I feel like I've watched Lauren write some things down. So I'm guessing she has a question and I, I have another question too, but go ahead, Lauren. Honestly, it's not even questions. I'm just sitting here and my mind is a little bit blown because everything you're saying, if, if you just put like, um, if you had a whiteboard and you wrote like hardcore punk scene and then like 
body positive yoga on it. It'd be like, <laughs> how do these two things come together in one person? But the way you're explaining it makes so much sense around community. And I love that you use the word ephemeral spaces because that's what a yoga class feels yes. like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially like a yoga retreat, right? And you kind of want to hang on to those people, but you usually don't really stay that close in touch, even though you fall in love with each other over mm-hmm. that weekend. And um, I also love that you brought up that community can be built around exclusion because that is what we are seeing on right. such a massive scale right now. It's like that common enemy intimacy, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, just reflections. I don't even have a question. I just I love it. Really <laughs> fucking cool. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, tell us, tell us, like, uh, okay, so, because I, I was feeling the same thing that Lauren just said, like, it makes so much sense that you um, had these experiences that informed part of your identity and also how you, how you thought about uh, group gathering and yeah. experienced that ephemeral nature there. And I know based on several of the conversations you and I have had that retreats and teacher trainings back pre-COVID were yeah. like, not just a part of your quote business structure, but also like your heart, your identity, yeah. your life, like it's what nourished you. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell us a bit about how you moved into like, first of all, when did mm-hmm. you discover yoga? And then yeah, like, yeah. what was that yeah. like moving into becoming a, a, a teacher and then someone who was teaching others and, and then incorporating the, the body positivity piece too? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, you know, my yoga journey with the body image stuff is has completely intertwined for me. Um, I, I, I found yoga, you know, kind of right after, like, I was sort of taking a step back from the hardcore scene. There was, um, and I think that both happening in tandem is not a coincidence. Um, you know, I was, uh, I graduated from college. My uh, I went to school for graphic design and ended up working for um, Norfolk Southern, one of the big railroads. Um, I had a corporate job for I think about eight years and um, learned a lot about marketing and web and design and all that, and was building all the the scene stuff at the same time. Um, I also discovered yoga during this time um, in my early 20s, and um, at the same time that I found yoga was also getting sort of my education in social justice and activism and stuff. I was starting to find, you know, fat activist spaces online. Um, Shout out to the Fat Shanista Live Journal community, which was sort of my first, like, Mm, politically leaning like community experience outside of punk rock, which has its own, you know, political and activist tradition, but was sort of separate from what I was doing. And, um, you know, so I found yoga, I was on this big weight loss project. I've always been in a bigger body, like since my early teen years. And I, back in my early twenties, definitely like hated the way I looked. I didn't want to be fat. I didn't, I want to lose weight at all costs. And so I found yoga through a gym that I was working at, out at. And one of the trainers there was like, you should do yoga on your rest days. Cause it's not really exercise, but you'll still burn a lot of calories. Like that was my introduction to the practice, which at the time I was just like, okay, coach. So like off to yoga, I go, even though I didn't think fat people did it. I was like nervous to go. I remember being the only bigger person in the class, but I don't remember much else about like what we actually did in the class the first time I went, but I had a really sort of profound experience with leaving the class, getting in my car, starting to drive home and noticing that my like mean girl soundtrack, (laughs) which is what I call the voice in my head, that critical negative self-talk loop, like 
had kind of shut up for a few minutes. I noticed because it started back up like 10 minutes into the ride or whatever. And I was like, hold on, you could turn that off. Like for me, that was big. Like that sort of recurring, you know, anxious voice that's like, you're fat, you're ugly, everyone's mad at you. Why'd you say that dumb thing in second grade? You know, like was always sort of there. Um, and so it was really big deal for me to realize that like, that could be calibrated. And so I started going back to yoga, like I went back the second time to be like, can I accomplish that again? You know, is that repeatable? And so I came to yoga really for this, I thought I was coming to like burn calories. I ended up not really even connecting with the physical aspects of the experience that much. Um, and at first was really about this like, way of um, being more present in my body, like getting my, my self-talk to a little bit nicer place. Like I felt like um, it, you know, took me down a frequency, which like, you know, it helped downregulate my nervous system, which was not a thing I knew that I could do. Like, so all these sort of like big revelations happen. Um, I'm learning more about feminism and intersectionality and marginalized identities and lived experiences and, all of that is sort of happening at the same time. Um, the more I learn about the world and the people in it, the less I want to really put my time into the hardcore scene um, because of the ways that I was feeling it wasn't really um, an equitable place for all humans, especially women. There was a, a huge amount of sexism in the scene that I dealt with for years and years. Um, and so for me, I started um, really digging into this yoga practice um, for the first few years, you know, it was um, it was a little bit difficult because I was in a bigger body. I wasn't really um, in classes with teachers that I feel like saw me or knew what to do with me. And so part of that was difficult, but part of it, I think, was really a gift because it meant that I had to really take responsibility for my practice and my physical practice, especially um, because I didn't want to just rest in child's pose while everyone else did something. So I would stumble through and figure out. And I learned of like, oh, if I move my belly out of the way, I can actually like feel what they're saying in this lunge. And, you know, I started kind of figuring some stuff out and and doing, you know, a little bit of research online. And, and back then, you know, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't hashtags you could search. There weren't a lot of YouTube videos with like variations. There were a few teachers who were online, but it was very limited. And so um, I decided about seven years into my practice to take teacher training. Um, like a lot of my friends who are teachers now, I didn't wanna teach and I wasn't gonna teach. I just wanted to learn the rest of the yoga. And um, I really like discovered that the experience that I was having in teacher training, um, you know, where I felt like my, I was understanding for the first time really how my body, um, how I was experiencing things differently than the other like thinner people in the class and really like breaking that down and understanding like um, what was going on there helped me to sort of like start systematizing it in a, in a, a different way. So like I started uh, making videos online about how to do sun salutation in a bigger body. I think one of my first videos was like how to keep your boobs out of your face while you do yoga, which I don't use that same language now, but still <laughs> like, you know, so it was a lot of these like practical um, tips that I was finding were really helping me. And, um, and I had been blogging since I was a kid, like I blogged before blog was a word and I was learning how to make websites on GeoCities and all of that. So it was very natural for me to just start sharing stuff online. 
Um, I also discovered that I did have some things to share and wanted to teach. And so I started teaching um, as body positive yoga. And this is around 2010, 2011 is when that kicked off. And so, you know, for me, the community building um, that I had been doing with um, with punk and hardcore, which then sort of happened in the independent artists and crafter community for a while. We don't have to go into all that, but I did fun stuff like throw juried craft shows and we had a collective for people who were like trying to make a living as independent artists and we would share tips and do programming around that. And I did some community building with um, AIGA, which is the National Trade Organization for Graphic Designers. And I was on the local chapter and did programming for that. And so you know, then it switched to yoga. And I really found that bringing folks together and the community, you know, those ephemeral spaces that I had loved so much, like throughout my life, like could happen every time we had a class, you know, and it was really a place where most of the students coming to me, you know, were folks in bigger bodies, were people who felt excluded or intimidated by traditional yoga spaces. And they weren't intimidated to come to my class because I look like them. And we weren't meeting at the studio. We were meeting in the libraries. We were meeting at the, the fencing gym that uh, my friend owned that we could like use the building. We were meeting at community centers and some of the places where these people went every day. So they weren't intimidated to come. and. I really started to, you know, wrap my head around the idea of like, what does it look like to have a yoga, a yoga that includes everyone where, you know, everybody can be invited to come as they are, um, to not have sort of like prerequisites physically or mentally or spiritually or otherwise, but like a practice that everyone can be invited to. And so really that's been my I don't know, uh, mission ever since. I started in 2015, um, two things that sort of like, I think kicked off where I am now as far as teaching, which is I did, um, I threw my first retreats in 2015 and I did an online course called Yoga for All with Diane Bondi. And so both of those things were really powerful. Um, I loved collaborating with her to co-create that course. And we've run it twice a year since 2015. It's changed a bunch of times. We've reshot it a few times, you know. Um, but that's been amazing to really see a community of teachers come together around this idea of creating spaces where everyone can practice equitably. Um, and, you know, I think 1200 teachers or something by this point have gone through that and like the 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 thing that's exciting to me is you know this idea of like scale i guess that like if it's just me in a class you know with 10 or 20 people like that's one thing but if we have you know 1200 teachers that can go hold this type of space like how exciting is that like that changes that changes things big time you know right. Um, so, and, and as far as the retreats, you know, it just seemed really natural for me. I, I had never attended a yoga retreat. Um, I don't, have I at this point attended a yoga retreat? I think <laughs> I've, I think I have not. I've attended, uh, like one or two, two retreats at this time, at this point in my life. They're not yoga retreats. Uh, I didn't really know what was supposed to happen on a yoga retreat, but I knew what kind of event I wanted to go to. And so that's what I did. Amazing. And that's really, you know, throughout my life, like these different community building things that I'm mentioning, I want a community around that. It was totally like a selfish thing, even though it always ends up in being of service. Uh, but for me, like I wanted to create the spaces that I needed and that I wanted. You know, I know that 
you know, for me, I think belonging is, it's a little half and half. It's half inside job and half the space that you can, you know, that you can be in. And so I wanted to do the half of like creating a container where people could feel seen and heard and where folks could have experiences that really, um, I don't know. Um, I was always changed in those kind of rooms, you know? Um, and so I wanted to facilitate that for people. I love throwing events. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. And so I, I started experimenting with these retreats where, you know, I could bring folks together around yoga, but also around uh, body acceptance, which has been a really big theme in my work. Um, again, because it's what I needed. And, you know, so I find that like when I would, learn something or, or try something that really helped me with self-acceptance or, you know, figure out a way to talk about non-attachment as it relates to beauty standards or, you know, any of those little things that would come up as I, you know, became more experienced in my practice and my teaching and also like my, you know, personal journey toward body acceptance and self-acceptance, like, I would try introducing those things. And I just found that really resonated with folks that like, there are a few things that I'm very intentional about when I, you know, create a, a space for learning or community. And mostly other than that, I just have to get out of the way, <laughs> you know? And so um, I think holding that type of space where I create a container that's very intentional, where we have agreements around, you know, what it's for and how folks are going to show up and, um, you know, what belongs there and what doesn't belong there. And I think that being thoughtful in those ways, um, really makes it less about, I don't know, it takes pressure off me as a teacher and a facilitator, you know, where I don't have to come in and change people's lives, right? Like I just have to show up, tell the truth and share my experience and share what I can. And, you know, if, if we've been thoughtful about the way that we invite people in, you know, if people don't feel like they have to leave parts of themselves at the door to come in and, and take part, like that does a lot of the work for me, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting here nodding vigorously. Um, <laughs> I, I've also heard, I think it was Nikki Myers. I've heard talk about her work in a similar way where it's like just getting out of the way, just getting out of the way, like setting it up mindfully and with a lot of intention, but then it, it, like you said, it really takes the pressure off you to have to provide some sort of life altering experience because when, we, when people have space to show up as their whole selves, that just happens. Like it's, it's inevitable, I would say at that point. And I, I guess I'm kind of wondering, um, cause you know, you've been doing this work for a while now. I would, you said 2010 is when you trained. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So more than a decade now you've been a yoga teacher. So I guess I'm wondering, what do you do for yourself to give yourself that space to keep showing up in your own wholeness? You know, that's a really good question. And I think this is something that I always have had some tension around um, in that it's way easier for me to be, to show up and, you know, I don't know, maybe like recognize needs and be of service and that kind of stuff. I think a couple of things. Um, I think being uh, not only being the container creator or the space holder is important, but if you're in that role, being in containers and having space held for you is also important. Um, for me, you know, I 
I lean on a lot of my colleagues who, you know, I think of someone like Mara Glatzel, who I've attended her retreats. Um, I'm a participant in a lot of her online courses. Um, you know, I seek out other facilitators that can hold that type of space um, and that I feel like I've learned a lot from over the years. Um, so I remember the first retreat I ever attended was with her and I, you know, I know I always like created the type of events I wanted to attend, but it's different when you're running it versus when you just get to be and participate. And so that really impressed upon me the like, I learned so much there. I learned, I like noticed things that really worked for me. And so that like informed my stuff going forward, you know, like the insights that I took away. So like, if you're a space holder, be held in space um, by someone you trust. I think that is important. Um, I also think that for teachers um, and for me, especially like, I don't know, maybe I've seen a tendency for like when we become teachers, we step out of the student role or at least there's not as much of it as there was before. Um, and I think yoga teachers, especially, you know, how's your personal practice? Like, are you still attending classes as a student or do you only teach classes now? Are you, um, and if you don't attend classes, like, do you have a practice that, like, what is your practice that you have at home? Like, for me, the ways that I, I know when I get, feel like I'm getting stuck or get in a rut or don't feel like I'm in a good place, like, there's usually some baseline, like, self-maintenance stuff that's not help happening. And for me, with my teaching practice, it's like if I'm feeling stuck or stagnant, like I need to get back on the mat. I need to like figure out some stuff in my own body and not just like, I don't know, it's easy to sit down and like plan a class and plan a theme and do curriculum and all that, but not feel super like connected to it. And I feel like the times when I've, you know, had feedback that like, oh my God, that was exactly what I needed is like when I actually spent time, you know, attending to the things that needed to be cared for in myself and like that way of, I don't know, being an inquiry with, um, uh, with that and making sure that like, I'm well cared for, like, I think a like models that to my students that that's important, but B make sure that I'm in this like resourced place where I can give, you know, where I can serve, where I can hold space for people for things that are really difficult or um, emotional or whatever the case may be. So, yeah. I, um, how did you get involved with accessible yoga in the way that you are now? <laughs> this is a question that I don't think I've ever, I've ever asked. And, and, you know, you and Jeevana co-created an online training school in COVID um, that has uh, really taken off. And if my, if I understand it correctly, one of the flagship offerings was, was um, Kelly's race equity course, mm -hmm. um, which she's just about to offer again soon, though, by the time this comes out, registration will probably be closed. Anyways, um, like th that whole school is really um, evolving and growing and contributing yeah. in really profound ways to the needs of, of yoga and accessibility and social justice. And I mean, I know that you've been a, a part of the organization, mm -hmm. but how did the training school and your role in all of that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, I first connected with Jeevana, uh, I want to say, hmm, when was that? 
It was the, one of the years that um, Accessible Yoga had a conference in Santa Barbara, which is where Gina lives. Um, we started chatting uh, then, and I want to say maybe that was like 2015 or something, 2016. Um, we started talking. Um, I met Jeevana for the first time at, um, I took the accessible yoga training at Yogaville, um, the Satchitananda Ashram here in Virginia, uh, here in Virginia. Now I'm in Maryland. <laughs> at the time I lived in Virginia. Um, it was really cool to connect with him. You know, we had, we had sort of followed one another online, but that was the first time we really like spent time together and just like really hit it off. I don't know, Jeevana and I like, we're like the comedy duo or something when we're together. Like I love teaching with him and we sort of just have a, I don't know, a rhythm or something. So we just became friends and um, we started talking after that. And I don't remember like how this came up, but um, maybe because I had joined the board for Accessible Yoga and just to like, so everyone knows, Accessible Yoga Association is the 501c3 nonprofit that Jeevana Heyman founded. Um, that is an organization around, you know, advocacy, education, we throw conferences, we do a lot of stuff around um, accessibility in the disability community. Um, and then the training school started up this year, um, which the accessible yoga training is a separate, you know, business that Jeevana has and a curriculum that he created years ago. Um, and so, um, I joined the board of Accessible Yoga, and that's been an amazing experience to help, um, you know, work and shape that organization over the past two years. Um, and then we got to talking, and Jeevana wanted to be able to train some folks to deliver that training, the Accessible Yoga training, which is like a 30-hour continuing ed. used to be a weekend intensive that you would go do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday somewhere. And um, he wanted to train some additional folks to help him teach that because he was getting more requests than he could do. And so I was one of the people he asked. I was really excited about that. And so I went and taught with him. Basically, we spent two weeks together out in Portland and Seattle. We taught two trainings like I shadowed him. We worked on the curriculum together a little bit and then um, and helped him also to put some of the cur curriculum online. So that was like our first big project that we did together. Um, and so I flew out to Santa Barbara and we recorded some stuff and I helped him, you know, build this learning platform and all of that um, and started leading the accessible yoga training. So I think I did like five or six of them a year for a couple of years um, where I would go and lead that training for a weekend somewhere. Um, and there were several of us doing that around the world. Um, and then the pandemic hit and um, basically I canceled, you know, a year's worth of <laughs> events that I had booked out. Um, and Jeevana and I were both sort of in the same boat where we were making our living as primarily as like traveling yoga teacher trainers doing these, you know, specialized continuing ed things and also like guest teaching and other people's teacher trainings and stuff like that. And we sort of spent, I don't know, the first like six or eight weeks of the pandemic, like we met once a week, we kind of were just like brainstorming and trying to figure out our way forward. And, um, you know, I encouraged him to put that training online and see how, how it went. And so June of last year, um, I worked with him to get all of it online, figure out what would be pre-recorded and what would be live and how that would all work. And we, we built this whole platform on Kajabi, which is a, a learning management system, um, and decided to run the training online. And it was 
a huge success. We got so much good feedback from folks about how much more accessible it was. Tons of folks who wanted to take it for years and years, but couldn't make it work because of travel or the schedule was too intense or childcare or the million other reasons why those workshops aren't accessible for everybody. And so, um, and there was just like, it, certain parts of it were just really enjoyable, even more enjoyable than teaching in person. And so like, I think, um, you know, after that, we decided to start to kind of wrap this school around it because we both are very interested in working on the, I don't know, the problem or the project of gatekeeping in the yoga community. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, we would notice that the same, you know, Jeevan and I would always get calls for like, come, you know, teach at this teacher training, like, oh, you're the people we go to for accessibility or, you know, for folks in larger bodies. And we would notice like the same five or 10 people are like faculty on all the trainings and sort of like who gets the gigs and who doesn't and thinking about those bigger, you know, pieces of gatekeeping in the community, not just like who gets to become a yoga teacher, which I think is something that, you know, maybe is a more widely thought about, right? Like, if you think about who gets to take teacher trainings, it's like, you gotta be able to take time off work. There's a big financial investment. You know, if you have like caregiver sort of responsibility, like there's a lot of logistics to figure out to make room for that. And so the people who get, who end up taking that um, and be can become teachers already hold a lot of privilege just to be able to do that, right? So we get, you know, the demographics that we have where most of our teachers are white, young, thin, not disabled, right? And so like when we think about being thoughtful um, around how we can diversify our teaching base, like that's one part of it, but like for folks who already are teachers, you know, we found there's so many folks we know from the accessible yoga community that are amazing teachers, but they're under-resourced or underestimated, or they're just not platformed in the same way that like some of us have, have gotten that spotlight, you know, probably due to a lot because of the privilege that we hold. And so part of the mission with the school is really about giving a platform to underestimated and um, marginalized teachers who we think do amazing work and but really, you know, could use that that signal boost. And so we've been, you know, in conversation with a lot of folks. Uh, we're getting some courses developed and we have a few that have rolled out already on the training school platform. Kelly Palmer's Race and Equity in Yoga is one that you mentioned and that's about to um, run another cohort in February and March of this year. Um, and we've got some other courses in the works around social justice and marketing. And um, we're working with uh, the Trans Yoga Project to possibly do a course. So I'm really excited about the offerings that are coming out of that school. I think um, it's also bringing together a really unique community um, and we're hearing from people, you know, that they want more education and opportunities and community building, um, that that's a really big deal to folks. And I think something that the accessible yoga community does really well. Um, and so, and not just me and Jeevana and the other people on the board and staff and all that, but really just like the community that's been built, the global community with these, you know, conferences that are run every year and the way that, um, folks really do have this spirit of co-creation and collaboration and, and, and a lot of the way that we teach and the way we train people to teach around, you know, noticing where power lives and redistributing power that, 
you know, maybe unfairly <laughs> given to us as teachers sometimes, like how we can create agency in our students and that kind of stuff. And, and I feel like the, you know, the school is really just an extension of that mission um, around like dismantling some of this gatekeeping and, and shining lights on, you know, not only like who gets to become a teacher, but how some of us get access to to gigs and to institutional knowledge and to systems and things like that. And like thinking about like, you know, redistributing resources, it's not always about who do you donate money to, but like, how can you notice where you have power and how you use that? So that, I think that's really important to both of us with this project. Mm. And uh, my understanding is that your entire, like, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on the show, at, at least I did with, with Rauda when I spoke with her, the, the nature of, of, of professional, like, like a complete professional 180 amidst COVID. Like mm-hmm. my perception of you professionally is that you had one job that was full-time and then COVID came and now you've got another full-time job. Like yeah. that's completely, it's, it's, it's related, but you're no longer teaching as that's part right. of your own platform. Now you're exclusively dedicating your time and, and labor to accessible yoga. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I think that my role has shifted a lot and it's, it's, all, it's also being figured out actively now. <laughs> um, I think that for me right now, my work looks like, uh, I don't know, my personal teaching work, whatever that means. Um, taking like body positive yoga has kind of been put on pause um, until uh, there's a more certain future of like what is in person going to look like I'm not done with that (laughs) I am I love teaching online I think I'm encouraging you know when I talk about it um, not just uh, because we have to now but really thinking about why this is a viable alternative and a preferable alternative to some a preferable way of learning to many of our students and so I'm, you know, I'm fully invested in that. And like, I still want to throw retreats. I still want to travel. I still want to be in rooms with people. That's important to me. Yeah. But until we know what that's going to look like and until the pandemic is more settled <laughs> or whatever we want to say in the U.S. especially, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm focusing exclusively on this right now. And, um, you know, for me... Like that sort of seems um, natural for a few reasons. One, I uh, I feel like right now in the season that I'm in, like both just personally with the stuff that's like going on in my life since the pandemic started um, and the ways that all of our lives have changed, you know, and also just like the way that I can be of service the most right now is, you know, getting this to a sustainable place. You know, it's not just me and Jeevana work creating livelihood for other people that are on staff for this project. And so, yeah, my role has shifted a little bit, maybe to more of this, I don't know, mentor, facilitator, something. Um, I'm not, uh, I am teaching as far as like, you know, we started a podcast and and that's been a big part of, of my sort of week to week right now. Um, but I've definitely stepped back a little bit from this like seat of the teacher and, um, I don't know how that how long that will last like I do sort of um, tend to jump on projects and then like jump to the next one. And so I want my next thing, like whether that's going to be an online teacher training or a book or whatever it is. Uh, but I don't know yet. And so I'm rooting I'm, for the book. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are rooting for that book. So it's you know, it maybe it's time, you know, but I think that the 
I don't know. I the pandemic has brought up a lot of stuff for me around my conditioning from capitalism, you know, that connects our worth to our productivity and um, also just around the maybe the pace that my life has used to have. And now that, you know, where I was traveling five months in 2019 and in 2020, I went almost nowhere, <laughs> you know, and so there have been these huge sort of like systemic changes in my life that I think um, have demanded me to slow down a little bit, not in the way of like, I'm still definitely working a full-time job. I was going to say, you definitely don't and seem like slow, you're slow to me. <laughs> I think, um, but it's, it's more of a like a reckoning around, like, I don't always have to be in creator mode, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah. I don't always have to be like, I don't know. I, I, I think I have a little bit of um, pride around this and, you know, some of that's dominant culture conditioning and some of it's probably the way I do the world, but of, of like, momentum and being able to be the person that like always gets the project unstuck and smashing through brick walls and blah, 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 all that stuff. And I think I've really um, had to reckon with that a little bit just because of the, w the way that our lives have changed so much, which is good. It's good growth for me, even though like, I don't know, growth is overrated sometimes y'all. I just like, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, can we stagnate for a minute? That'd be nice. Uh, but I think that, um, I think that it's important for me to not just have these, I don't know, this might go back to our previous question of like, how do you make sure you're in a place to be resourced enough to like serve? And for me, you know, not constantly being in the creation half of the cycle, but also the like, I don't know, rebuilding, nourishing the, the new moon, the like time when you plant the seeds and then they have to like do the stuff they do under the dirt for a while. And I feel like I'm, I'm in that place a little bit, which, um, doesn't feel super comfortable to me, but also I think is really important to, um, that like creation is important, but like reflection is also important and being thoughtful about next steps, uh, for me seems, I don't know, really appropriate right now. Yeah. And so maybe that's where I've landed with it. And there's a new moon tomorrow. So what a perfect time <laughs> to be having this conversation. Right? Um, yeah, it, it's so interesting. I've related so much on so many levels to what you've shared. And, and that's part of it too. And I think that you're far from alone, besides just me, of being in this, now that we're almost a year into the pandemic, people... A lot of us did slow down last year, but a lot of us also just barreled through a lot of last year. And I've noticed since the holidays, like clients or just folks that I've talked to seem to now be in that reflective space, which I, I think you're so right on with that being just as important as the creation, because we can't always be in creator mode. It would be really nice, but yeah, you know, you got it. And, and I, you know, like whenever I sort of feel that push to be like, you know, when someone asks me like, when's your next, whatever, um, I did create a lot last year. I started a business, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, I, I think, uh, I, maybe I'll just say that out loud for folks that are listening and feeling like, oh, I didn't even accomplish much last year. Like, I don't know. Did you have to like pivot every bit of the way that you worked? Uh, you accomplished a lot last year. Like, are you, you alive? Know, yeah, <laughs> that too. Right. You know, yeah, like, are you alive in a, I mean, I'm sure not all your listeners are from the U.S., but the ones that are like in a country that provided, you no social safety net during like the worst, you know, health crisis of our generation or, you know, whatever it is like that we've all sort of had an extraordinary year, even though our lived experiences are very different. Um, yeah. And sometimes like 
I don't know, we don't give ourselves credit for that. <laughs> that that when I sit there and think about like how productive I've been compared to how I was in the past, or you know, I used to sit down at, you know, the end of the year and sort of like write out my own personal like annual report and like of all the amazing things that I did. And like I didn't really feel like I wanted to do that this year because I told myself this story of like, well, I haven't really, you know, produced that much, but like I don't know, it's been a totally different role. It doesn't look like I have five new courses and, you know, 30 sold out trainings. I did this other type of creation. And so anyway, if other folks that kind of like get into that place where your your mind is telling you that you haven't done enough, like, I don't know, some of the ways that we've had to be creative and be in problem solving mode this last year have not always looked the same as they did before. So I don't know, that's a thing to notice maybe. I have two more questions um, and I'm aware that we're like nearing our times. And so the first one I'm going to say, you can answer or not. Do you (laughs) want to say anything about your experience with the yoga journal cover? Oh yeah, definitely. So um, I'm going to write more about it. I'll write something about it at some point. (laughs) I haven't done that yet, but um, you know, my experience, maybe I'll just say what my takeaway was, which was uh, just yet another um, I don't know. <laughs> the universe is not subtle with me is a thing that my friend Deb likes to say. And I would say like, I received another lesson in non-attachment um, because, you know, leading up to, I, I was very uh, conflicted about the, even saying yes to that. I ignored their email for like many weeks, which I'm sure is rude, but I was just kind of like, oh, I don't know. And I, um, you know, yoga journal, I don't know, we won't get into all of it, but yoga journal has been problematic in the past. Maybe I'll just, I could say it that way. And um, publicity is a tricky one for me too, because I find that publicity, while it often, whenever I have been featured in sort of mainstream publicity ways, uh, the community, my community loves it. It's great for, you know, diverse representation, whatever. Um, And also for me, it's usually personally annoying or, I don't know, I get a lot of online email hate or comments from, you know, trolls and things like that. So going into it was, you know, I felt a little conflicted. I wanted to make sure that, you know, if I was in Yoga Journal that I felt like I really represented the community well and got the message across and all of that. There was a lot of maybe, I will say, mental drama uh, in my own head around saying yes, saying no. I talked to people, I solicited opinions. I talked to people who have been on the cover before that I'm friends with. Like I had all these expectations built up about what it would be and how it would be. And and then none of that came true anyway. Um, everything was different because of the pandemic. Um, maybe the, I, the yoga journal was also going through like a merger at the time. And so I think like the production schedule and who worked on what and all those things like wasn't even typical of what I was expecting because that's not what had been in the past because the pandemic was here now. So um, a lot of the stuff that I think, you know, I had been worked up about didn't end up coming to pass. And then there was like new challenges, like being in a space with other people during COVID when I had not been doing that, like was tricky. And, and then when the magazine came out, you know, there was really big, you know, outpouring of excitement from, you know, my community, I would say, and not much else happened. 
you know, where I have had, ex you know, expectations from other folks who are like, that's when everything blew up. I was on the 30 under 30 list. I got, you know, the book offer. I got this, I got that. And so, you know, where I was kind of thinking like, okay, how are we going to field all this? Stuff? And then like, no one literally noticed, including the trolls. And so like, that was just such a huge lesson to me in, um, I guess in non-attachment of like being fully invested in the um, the effort or the like, yeah, I, I should have cared as deeply about that as I did. And also like holding the results really loosely because none of that outcome could be controlled. Do you know what I mean? Like I knew that I had to show up, do the things that I um, know would be in integrity with how I want to show up and what I want to say and and do my level best to make sure that that happens. And then I got to let go of the rope, you know, I got to step back and like, let it play out. And it did. And, and it was uh, way more of a, I'll say like a non-event in my life than I guess like my brain wanted to make it. And so like that, I think was a really good takeaway. And, and I, and I had a great, I had a positive experience with yoga journal. I, I think um, Lindsay who wrote the article did an amazing job. Um, representing me and what I wanted to say, you know, I, um, they let me pick my own photographer, which, you know, I brought in my friend Tiff Brown, who is a queer non-binary black photographer from Baltimore. And like, I don't know, probably not a lot of the yoga journal gigs go to people outside of yoga journal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so some of it felt really good in the ways that I was able to share access and, you know, show up for the community. And in other ways, it was like, no big deal. And so like, I don't know, that was a very good lesson for me, I guess, just in that way, uh, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. does. Lauren, do you have any questions to follow up with that? No, I'm just grateful for the generosity of your share. And I'm, you've got me thinking of all the areas where I'm a little attached to some, <laughs> <laughs> right? What a perfect lesson in that. Yeah. Okay. This is my last question. Um, Lauren and I recorded a, a podcast yesterday, which we're going to put out before this one, um, all about hard conversations. That was our, our theme. And we ended up not landing on any, uh, you know, action steps or <laughs> like any framework, you know? Um, and then I went off and had one and, and winged it. And I think I did okay, but I was also like kind of scared and, and avoidant in some ways. And so, you know, I'm really just thinking about how we, um, as white people, especially, uh, how we choose to lean into hard conversations um, and what the tools are that we need to be learning in order to keep showing up for them and in order to move through them. And I get the sense that you are someone who is practiced um, in this, correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts, tips, advice to offer, anything you wanna say on the topic of having hard conversations. Sure, um, I've done you know well at this uh, sometimes and more often than not, I've really messed it up, but I learned from that too, you know? Um, yeah, let me think about what I wanna say here. Uh, I guess non-attachment always shows up for me here too, right? So I don't know, be fully invested in the effort, but hold the results loosely. Like when I approach a conversation, uh, what am I trying to do? Am I approaching it because I think I need to change this person's mind? That's gonna go real different than when I show up with the intent to learn or listen or um, understand something about the other person's perspective. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think, 
uh, asking yourself like, well, what do I want to, what is my objective with this conversation? Is it connection? Is it understanding? Is it getting on the same page as far as, you know, a definition of a word? You know what I mean? Like, uh, what is the, am I trying to change someone's mind? Is this a debate? Right? Like all of those require, each of those cases requires a different way of showing up. Right? And I think that oftentimes, um, I don't know, I'll speak for myself that especially in conversations where it's a topic of like social justice or something like that or you know someone's been wronged there's inequality um that my um my desire to see justice or to see equity or to make sure all people are taken care of which comes from a place of love right and a, of a desire for to honor people's humanity can turn into this like weird righteous anger <laughs> that then, even though it's grounded in this place of love and a desire for connection and honoring humanity, turns into this really weird, like, combative and aggressive energy because I need to, like, take care of those people. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And especially for me, when, you know, I think, like, um, uh, going to that, like, activated nervous system place, the, like, anger place um, can be a, a very useful tool for me sometimes. Um, in like uh, anger given direction can be very productive in, in my case. But in a, in a conversation where you're trying to come to some sort of um, agreement or find common ground is actually not that useful. And so for myself, you know, I kind of have to make sure that if I'm going into a conversation, I know what my intention is. You know, I'm real clear on that. My intention is to listen. My intention is to um, understand a perspective. Um, my intention is to uh, try to find this person's humanity. You know what I mean? Like really get clear on that before you approach the conversation. Um, and I think for me to making sure that I'm well resourced when I come to that conversation, um, I, I don't want to have a hard conversation when I'm sleep deprived, when I'm feeling emotional about something else. Um, not that you can't like be a messy human and show up, but if I know that I already am going to be activated around a topic and I already know that I might tend to forget myself and yell at someone or, you know, whatever, then I want to make sure I set myself up for success. And so like, what's the, what's the baseline self-maintenance you need to do to like get yourself to a place where you feel equipped to like be patient and maybe like hold your tongue a little bit if your tendency is to snap back and like maybe ask a question instead of stating something you know like how what do you need to do to, to be in that place um and then maybe the last thing i'll say is like um you know what practices uh do you have that help you to feel grounded and resilient in a moment that's difficult for me that's my breath for me that's you know uh, ways I physically presence myself, whether it's like stomping my feet on the floor and like, you know, doing a, a power pose or moving my body a little bit to try to like get my energy more organized. Um, maybe it's um, having a, a, a notes that I work for from for the conversation. Um, you know, maybe I need to sit down and, and, and actually write out something that's a visual cue for me to remember, like, remember your breath or, you know, something that I can hold in my hand that helps me to, to stay connected to the purpose of what the conversation is. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I find that's especially helpful when, you know, if you're talking to someone 
like uh, a close friend or a family member or somebody that maybe you have an existing dynamic with that makes it higher stakes to have these types of conversations. You know, that that um, mm, being present in the body and remembering like that your body is part of this, like what are those practices that help you to stay present and connected in the moment and rather than, I don't know, um, letting the, the like the fear brain run or run away with us. Do you know what I mean? Like usually when, when we, when we are, when we end up in an argument, when we end up, you know, uh, forgetting ourselves and forgetting our, our tools and our practice and kind of like, I don't know, yelling at someone or, you know, whatever it is showing up in a way we don't mean to. Um, oftentimes I find that is that happens easier when it's someone that we, feel connected with. And so, um, because it's easy to slip back into, you know, a family dynamic or the, like the, the friend banter, bicker dynamic or like whatever it is. And so, um, I find that's especially important when it's those, those types of relationships, at least for me, um, that, that really helps. Yeah. Thank you so much. And Tristan is just giving you a little relief that we were yeah. kind of on the right track yesterday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, we're not but, too far. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you, Amber. I really appreciate you taking the time on a yeah. busy podcast interview schedule. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And for those of you out there who are listening and haven't listened to the Accessible Yoga podcast, I highly recommend it. Um, whether you're a yoga teacher or not, frankly, like there are a lot of topics on there that are just so relevant and timely. And I've been listening since you, since you and Jeevan started it, um, not just because I, I work with you, but because I think it's so good. Um, so I just want to say that and, and thank you for, thank you for being who you are and for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great to chat with y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of All the Fuck In. If you like what we're doing, we'd love if you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and review. This helps other folks find us. You can learn more at alltfinpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F-I-N podcast.com. And on Instagram at alltfinpodcast or at Tristan Katz Creative or and at Lauren K. Roberts. Death is a pillow, death is a pillow, death is a pillow, death is a pillow.